We're going to dive in uh, right now and uh, continue our conversation about the life of Jesus leading up uh, to the cross and to Easter. And uh, uh, this week we are talking about this idea that Jesus sparks into the hearts of his disciples. And what's fascinating is most of the conversations that we've been talking about, these important moment conversations that Jesus has with his disciples, in the moment they don't understand it at all. Most of these conversations are not actually understood until the other side of the cross, the death, and the resurrection, and, and a life of Jesus. And so, so oftentimes these guys are confused, and he's about to have a conversation today as, uh, as he continues this journey towards the cross with his disciples that is very powerful and very uh, challenging. And part of it is challenging because he has a conversation about something that is unlimited and unconditional. Unlimited and unconditional, and he starts talking about a new covenant. A covenant's a fancy word for a promise or a deal or an agreement, a binding contract. And he starts talking about a new covenant. And I don't know about you, but I've had conversations where someone tries to tell me something is unlimited or unconditional. And it doesn't always work out that way. I remember when I first started getting a cell phone. And they would say things like, remember, I had, a, I had Verizon back then. I'm not a knocking Verizon, it's just a fact. That's who I had. And I remember the conversation was unlimited calling as long as you call another Verizon customer. Remember that, those days? It was unlimited, and then it changed, and it was unlimited calling after 7 p.m. Some of you are old enough to remember all of that, right? And the, and the re- rules would change, right? And then there was uh, only, it started with unlimited only if I called people on my own plan. And it was limited, And they kept saying unlimited or unconditional. And I wonder in your life, how do you react when something seems too good to be true? How do you react when something seems too good to be true? Because Jesus is about to walk into conversation and communicate something that feels a little too good to be true. And I think we often go, uh, what's the catch? What's the catch? I, uh, I don't know if you guys ever did Movie Pass. I did Movie Pass. I tried it out. I got sold. One of my friends was in town, and he goes, you should do this thing, Movie Pass. I used to work in the movie theater, and so I'm used to being able to go to the movies for free. So it's hard to pay for movies if you've been able to go for free for years and years and years. When I was a youth pastor, I always had uh, youth group kids that worked at the movie theater, so I always got deals, right? Suddenly, I didn't have deals anymore, so I stopped going to movies all the time. And my buddy tells me, he goes, listen. Now, listen, this is bad commercials for Verizon and Movie Pass, so we should, you know, I'm not trying to knock these companies. I'm just telling you my experience, all right? <laughs> but I, I got this deal, and it was $10 a month, and you can go watch one movie a day every day of the month. It's unlimited, until you read the fine print. And the fine print says they can change the plan at any time, whether you agree or not. So after two or three months of having this deal and going to maybe two movies, the deal changed. And it was one movie a day, but only an approved movie at a certain time. And then it was one movie like a week, but it had to be, and it just got more, and it got so complicated, eventually I gave up. Because there was a catch and the rules kept changing. There was fine print, and I got caught up in that. I think sometimes when someone stands in front of you and starts talking about unlimited or unconditional and your relationship with God and this forgiveness and grace that Jesus offers, sometimes we have the same response 
is when someone stands in front of us and says, this is an unlimited offer for you. We get skeptical and we think there must be a catch. There must actually be a limit or even worse, I'm gonna accept and then the rules are all gonna change. As soon as you get me to say yes, what are you selling me, pastor? And if you've struggled with that tension, then I'm so glad you're here today because we're gonna talk about Jesus's conversation about this unlimited and unconditional covenant. So let me pick up the story because of time. Uh, we have been talking about Jesus uh, and he has a conversation and about John chapter 11 where he decides that he is going to move towards Jerusalem because he wants to get there and celebrate the Passover. There's now urgency for two years plus. He's been doing ministry, kind of moving from town to town and now there's urgency. He raises Lazarus from the dead. We talked about that a few weeks ago, this incredible story and narrative, Jesus taking authority uh, uh, over death here on earth and after that happens, the religious leaders of that time are concerned because noticeably he's skyrocketed in popularity. I don't know about you, but if someone legitimately raises someone who's been in the ground for four days and stinketh according to the scriptures, and he comes back to life, just go with whatever that guy says. And that's what's happening right? Crowds are forming and, and people are following. And he's going more from this wise teacher to these, okay, maybe miracles, to now people are pilgriming to Lazarus to see Lazarus because he's the guy who was raised from the dead by Jesus. It's so much more levels of popularity. And so the religious leaders of that time are looking around going, he's getting so popular that the people are going to follow him and not us. And then they're going to create such a landslide of, uh, of emotion. And they've been praying for a Messiah a leader that will free them from Rome. Rome's gonna see this and Rome's gonna come in and wipe all of us out because Rome don't mess around. So it would be better, they decide, to just go ahead and kill Jesus to break their own law and their own covenant in order to protect their ability to control their own people and their own religion. So everything changes. And then the scripture tells us in Matthew that, uh, that Jesus no longer moved about publicly because he recognized they were trying to kill him. So him and his, his followers, they kind of retreat and they're no longer going publicly from place to place. Then it also tells us that the religious leaders have decided that they're gonna try to capture him and hand him over and kill him, but they're nervous to do it around all the holidays that are coming up because Passover's coming. Now, you gotta get a picture of Passover in order for this to make sense. Passover for the Jewish people is the holiday of holidays that they were celebrating. It was a giant epic feast. It was like their 4th of July on like steroids, right? And they are celebrating, and you guys know what Passover is about if you think about it. Passover is when they celebrate getting free from all of Egypt. It's when they look back and go, that's how we got out of Egypt. In fact, it's actually called the Feast of Unleavened Bread also because they left so quickly from Egypt. They took the bread before it had risen and they ate their unleavened bread and they would celebrate this. And it was a very elaborate festival and there was nowhere to celebrate it quite as special as Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, when they celebrate Passover, if they're not 
in Jerusalem, the final part of Passover is like a toast where they say next year in Jerusalem. And it's like they're wishing that they could celebrate it in Jerusalem. And so the city of Jerusalem would swell by thousands and thousands and thousands of people at the time of Passover for this celebration. And, and it's this weird season where it's like the 4th of July because they're celebrating their independence. They're celebrating that they were in slavery and they, they were made free, but it's kind of weird because even though they're celebrating the 4th of July, they're conquered again by Rome. It'd be like if we got together on 4th of July, we all got hot dogs and fireworks went off, except we had been conquered by Canada. (laughs) And we're celebrating our independence that we once had when we once got free, but we're conquered again. That's the kind of vibe that's kind of happening at this time. And because of this vibe, it's a very weird time in the history of Israel. They're celebrating, but they're also looking forward to getting to be free again. Does that make sense? Because of that, they've been looking for a Messiah. Their eyes are open. Is anyone going to raise up? God said that a Savior is going to come, and he's going to save us. We're conquered just like we were enslaved to Egypt. It's not the same as that enslavement, but we're also not free now. And this is creating tension every time they celebrate. They're looking forward to this freedom that they don't have. So the scene is kind of set. The... Pharisees want to hand him over, Matthew 21, 46. It says they have showed up in Jerusalem because they know he wants to go to Jerusalem. And it says they look away for a way to arrest him. This isn't on the screen. But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. The Pharisees, the religious leaders want to arrest him. So they go to Jerusalem and they're thinking, this guy's popular. Even though he's coming in secretly maybe, maybe we'll find him and be able to arrest him. We're just afraid of the crowds. The Pharisees want to arrest him. The Sadducees, the other religious leaders, they want him dead because they're in entire faith is based on there's no afterlife and he's raised someone from the dead. And so since they said there's no afterlife and he's raised someone from the dead, they need him to die. And then they're committed. They're going to go kill Lazarus next. Poor Lazarus, right? He's free from the grave and they've already put a death sentence on him because they're like, everyone who dies needs to stay dead no matter what, or we lose power. So that group is there. There's a group that are just maddeningly excited at the potential of a savior coming. And they're hyped out of their minds. They want Jesus to show up and start the revolution. And then there's Rome. And they're in power. And their ranks have swelled because the city is filled And they're hearing conversations and words about this this rabbi, this prophet, this teacher that everyone's excited about. And they're tense and they're at guard and they're watching to see what happens. Everyone is looking for Jesus. And the scripture tells us he's on the way. Listen, I don't know how excited you are for Jesus. But you need to know the scripture tells us he's always on the way. He's always on the way. He's present and he's on the way. Everyone's looking for Jesus and he is on the way. So John chapter 12, I'm gonna start there and then I'll be in Luke 22 for a while. I'll be all over the place, but I'll give you the scriptures. John chapter 12, here comes Jesus. He's raised Lazarus. They've hidden. They're making their way towards the city. There's this uh, uh, event that's getting ready to happen. He wants to celebrate Passover, which is a big important feast of recognizing their freedom from Egypt. He wants to celebrate that in Jerusalem. It's a big deal. 
And John chapter 12, verse 12 tells us the next day, a great crowd had come for the festival. It's swelling up. It's about five days before Passover. The party has already started. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And you'll recognize this passage. It says they took palm branches and they went out to meet him. And they started shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now this is a crazy statement to make in this moment. This is an electric atmosphere. There's a group of people that want to arrest him. There's a group that want to kill him. There's a group that want to make sure that everyone just behaves themselves and we're in charge. And here comes the crowd and they start grabbing palm branches and they shouting out not to God, Hosanna, but to Jesus, Hosanna. And Hosanna literally translates, save us, Lord. And they start ascribing this phrase that is to declare to God, hey, rescue us from our oppression. And they start declaring that to Jesus. This is a politically charged electric moment that's happening. They're shouting Hosanna. And then they go a step further. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord or blessed is he who comes with the authority of God at his right hand. He comes in the name of the Lord. This isn't someone from our regular troop. This guy has authority. This isn't someone who's under the authority of Rome, that Rome gave him his authority. Canada's got nothing on this guy. God sent him. We want him to be, operate under this authority. Blessed is you come. And then they go one step forward, even beyond that, and they say, blessed is the king of Israel. Can you imagine Roman ears perking up? Can you imagine? This is the crime they're going to accuse him of in just a few days. This statement that they've shouted out, we want you to be our king. We want you to save us. You have the authority of God. And the crowd's waving palm branches and in comes Jesus. He's been basically hidden for several days up until this point. And everyone is going crazy. The crowd is electric. The city is electric. They're running around. Imagine after this event, did you see Jesus? We saw him. Did you get a palm branch that the donkey stepped on? I got one. We'll autograph it, sign it, you know, put it up in your office. This is awesome. He might be the king. Do you think he's the king? I think he's the king. Do you think he's, I don't know if he's the king. I hope he's the king, right? All this buzz is happening. And the religious leaders at this time are freaking out. Tensions are high, because Rome's going to stomp us. They're going to take away the temple. They're going to take away our whole way of life. Rome is powerful. We cannot have an uprising happen on our watch. But they're afraid of the crowd. People are holding that he's a prophet. And if we just go and seize him and arrest him, they're going to turn on us. And it doesn't matter if Rome wipes us out, if we're already dead. So they come up with a plan. They're trying to come up with a plan. They've got no hope and they're afraid. And then something happens. In the story, one of Jesus' closest guys turns on him, turns on him. Judas sneaks off and goes to the religious group and the authority and says, hey, cut me a deal and I'll give you Jesus. Luke chapter two, 22, verse four, it says, and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. One of his closest intimate crew breaks ranks. 
and turns on him. Verse five, it says, they were delighted and they agreed to give him money. And he consented, listen to this, he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. See, they were concerned about turning him over and this is some underhanded shady stuff going on. Come on now. And Judas turns on him and it changes. One of the people who should have been loyal In the next few days, Jesus is gonna fulfill God's promise to Abraham and replace God's covenant. All of the things are about to happen. And in the midst of this, there's this relational thing happening and someone close to him turns on him and the Pharisees are delighted. Why are they delighted? Because they were afraid. They were driven by their fear. They were afraid of what Jesus might take away from them. It never occurred to them that he came to bring them something. Everything to them looked like he is going to take everything from us. So Judas turns on Jesus. Jesus has a couple of more significant appointments before Easter. And one of them is he has eagerly desired to celebrate Passover with them. This is their time. This is their jam. This is their big celebration. And he wants to do this dinner with his closest group, Judas included. If you jump ahead a little bit, verse 14, they find a location to have the meal away from the crowd. They've whisked him away from popularity again. It's no social media, so no one's taking shots and tagging him, and everybody's running around after him. He's able to just kind of melt back into the crowd. They're at a place having the meal in a room, and it says, when the hour came, verse 14, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. It's time to have the dinner. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He says, time and time again, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. They never understand. They never ask the follow-up question. They're kind of just like, we don't know what you're talking about. Sometimes he gets a little, you know, esoteric and just kind of tells stories. And we're just trying to figure it out. And we're like, we just don't even ask questions when he gets like this. He says, but I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. There's so much room for questions here. All the time the disciples ask questions. How are they not asking a ton of questions right now? Or how is it not getting recorded if they are? I'm not sure. But he wants to eat the Passover meal with them. And so it's important that we understand a little bit about the Passover meal before, uh, before we move any further, because there's some significant components to the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal in the Jewish tradition has several components. There's actually about 15 components, and I won't teach you all the 15 components right now because that's not that exciting, and you can Google and learn all the things I learned by doing that, but there's some important components that you do have to know. There are elements that are present, and some of those elements are things like there's the bone of a lamb. It's called a lamb shank, right? And it sits on this, they get, a, they get like a, a, a big plate and it has little sections like what you would do for your chips and dip, only it's different. It has little sections and there's little pieces on each section. There's a lamb shank, there's an egg, there's some herbs, uh, there's some like a, like a pasty nut product stuff. Um, and all of it has uh, different levels of significance. There's some salty water uh, that's in there. Um, and there is the obvious things that we know from Passover. There's the bread. That's the hard kind of bread that doesn't have uh, any, uh, any yeast in it, hasn't risen. And then there is wine. And there's actually four cups of wine. 
as part of the Passover meal. So if you ever wondered about Passover, there's four glasses of wine that you drink as part of that. And, uh, and it's an important part of the celebration. Those, wine, those glasses of wine are very, very significant. Now, every piece, every piece that's present has a meaning and is important. Now, that's not the meal. They don't eat all those things, okay? I should clarify. <laughs> Uh, those are all parts to represent things. They taste some of those things, but then afterwards there's like a feast that's like Thanksgiving, right? You just eat everything you want to eat. Um, and, then, and then they celebrate and they're, they're done. And sometimes it goes two days and sometimes it goes one day. And what's really important about the meal, just in the culture, if you're Jewish, you probably know way more about this than me and you could school me on the things I get wrong here. If not, most of us are Gentiles, so we don't know kind of the history of some of these feasts. This feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I said before, it's significantly called that because when they fled Egypt, in the night when it was time to go and Pharaoh finally was like, go. And Moses was like, let's get out of here. They grabbed all the food that they could and, and they had all this bread that hadn't risen yet for the next day. It was still cooking. And so they took it and it was like crackers. It, it got hard. And they, and they remember eating that as they left. And then each piece of the meal is significant because it has meaning. So you have a lamb shank, a lamb bone. And if you remember the lamb that they slaughtered and they put the blood over the post, right? And the, the term Passover comes from the final plague that happened when Moses uh, led the people out was the plague of death. And the angel of death came and he took the firstborn of every household that didn't have blood over the doorframe. And so there's the lamb bone, right? Then they have the, the herbs that they put there. It just represents that it's spring and that everything's exciting and alive. And then they dip the herb in the salt water and they eat a little piece of it to remember how sad the tears that they cried when they were enslaved in Egypt, right? Then the paste is like the bricks that they had to make. Everything is significant, right? And so the point of the meal, and it's fun, it's a very interactive meal. And whoever's the youngest child at the table has a lot of work to do. Their job is to ask questions. And, and so because they train, the youngest child always gets to ask questions. What does this mean? And tell me this part of the story. They have a role. And they, they, it's an, it could be, it can take all night long, guys. Come on now. They can have conversation. They, can, they don't, I mean, they, they try to push ahead because I'm sure everybody gets hungry eventually. But, uh, but they have conversation about each piece and they train their family and they tell the story of their culture and their people. And it's beautiful. And everything represents something. And that's what you have to understand that we're about to have a conversation with Jesus and he's gonna talk about changing the representation of things. And it's insane for him to do it. They've been celebrating this way for 1500 years at this point. 1500 years. Every spring, Passover, they do this type of meal and they have this story that they tell. So, verse 22, chapter 22, verse 17. It says, after taking the cup. Now there's six, four cups, I'm sorry. There's four cups. And the scripture's unclear to us a little bit which cup he's talking about at which time. But I'm gonna talk about the cups in just a, uh, in a moment. But uh, it doesn't always tell us which cup he's talking about at which time. We have some uh, understanding that we pull out of there. But he says, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, this isn't the right kind of bread, but uh, I like it because it would crack. And basically, you could hear in the room this. And he breaks the bread. Sorry for whoever has to help me clean. Um, <laughs> that was way messier than I thought it was going to be when I tested that. Um, <laughs> right? And he says, this is the bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, you do this in remembrance of me. Now, listen. 
if you were a good Jewish boy at that time and grown into a good Jewish man, you paid attention in Sunday school, you already know what the bread signifies. I just told you. You don't get to take the bread and say, now when you celebrate Passover, don't remember that our people fled Egypt and had to take bread and had to get out of slavery and escape. Don't remember that. Remember me. That's an insane statement for him to make at the time. You have to understand, in order to get that in our context, that would be kind of like um, Easter's coming up, right? What if I were to say in a couple weeks, instead of celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus, I want all of us to celebrate my birthday on Easter. And it's gonna be Mikester. And we're gonna get rid of all of our regular traditions. I don't want you to hide eggs. I want you to hide presents. And then when you find them, I want you to come bring them to me. Right? All of you would go, that's insane. That makes no sense. That's irrelevant. You can't change Easter. You can't just make it about you. And this is what Jesus is doing in this moment. This is a wild assertion for him to lean in and say, take this and do this in remembrance of me. Now, let alone, he says, this is my body. Already, time and time again, especially in the book of John, he's talked about, eat my body, drink my blood, and they've just like, they just ignore, they don't even ask questions. They're just like, that's a hard teaching, God, and we'll just, and he's like, where are you gonna leave? He's like, we don't got nowhere else to go, so we'll just keep following you, even though we don't get it, okay? They don't get it. They're not understanding. There's no picture that they understand what's going on here. They don't question it. But what they probably should have questioned was, um, we get that you're popular now, Jesus, but can you leave Moses and our 15 years of history alone and stop changing the celebrations and the party? Because we're here to celebrate something that already happened. The Passover was already about remembering something. It was already about remembering something. So Jesus undaunted by this statement, makes the next statement. It goes, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of these statements are crazy, which is poured out for you. Time out, time out. We know what the cups stand for. For 1,500 years, we've already had a plan of what the cups stand for. We have a scripture that is meaningful and impactful for each cup, and each cup has significance. We have, it, goes, it goes way, way, way back, Jesus. We learned all of this already, and you don't just take the cup and make it something else. Not only that, a new covenant? A new covenant? What are you talking about? What kind of covenant? And a covenant in blood? Like, this is grisly and confusing. We understand what the covenant in blood is already. We recognize that 1,500 years ago, our forefathers put some blood on the door. That's why we call it Passover. There already has been a covenant. We're already celebrating this thing. The cup had already initiated God's relationship with Israel. But Jesus says, from now on, this covenant is about me. See, 600, they should have recognized the tension of this covenant. 650 years before this, Jeremiah had told them that a new covenant was coming. He had told them that a new covenant was coming. And they should have paid attention and understood this, but they didn't ask any questions. Jeremiah said a new covenant was coming, and it looked a little bit like this. He said, the days are coming, Jeremiah 31, declares the Lord, when I will make, listen to this words, a new covenant 
with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Hold on a second there. They knew 650 years ago, they'd been studying this, that someday a new covenant was coming. So here's Jesus, and he's using powerful, important language, fulfilling prophecy from 650 years ago, saying that this cup is now a what? New covenant. This is important. Because this covenant's not like the old covenant. As a matter of fact, he said that in the scripture, verse 32. He says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt. He's like, the covenant is changing. It's not going to be the same kind of covenant because they broke that covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. God's like, I was faithful to them the whole time. That covenant was something they couldn't handle. They broke it over and over and over again. This, verse 33, is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. First covenant, new covenant. New covenant, declares the Lord, is I will put, listen, this is so good. I will put my law in, the, in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. See, the old covenant was page after page after page of stuff you don't want to read in your scriptures of law, right? It's basically a lot of Exodus, most of Deuteronomy, some stuff in Leviticus, it goes again in Numbers, right? All the stuff you skip over when you're reading Old covenant, very important things, incredibly significant conversations that God has with the people of Israel. But he says, a new covenant is coming and you're not gonna need two tablets, come on now, in stone in order to know it. It's gonna be a covenant of conscience. I'm gonna get inside your mind and heart and I'm gonna establish a relationship with you that you know me, that is personal. And he says, I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, they'll be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. The whole old covenant was about how do we deal with our disobedience? And God says in the new covenant, when I write it on your heart, I'm not even gonna remember. Unlimited. I'm not even gonna remember your sin anymore. You see, Jesus is being clear that from now on, this covenant means me. From now on, this covenant means me. You see, what would have been a good question for them to finally ask would have been, what kind of covenant is this? What, what kind of covenant are we talking? If you're going to take this old covenant and replace it with a new covenant, Jesus, what does that mean? How, what kind of, now, I got to give you a little bit more history. In the ancient times, there was basically three kinds of covenants, okay? I'm just going to paraphrase them for time. Covenant number one is, we are equals, and we have a covenant. You're going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And as long as you keep doing this, I'll keep doing that. And as long as I keep doing this, you'll keep doing that. And we're going to make a deal that's a covenant. But if you break your side, I'm not held to my side. And if I break my side, you're not held to your side. We're equals. Covenant. Shake on it, right? Covenant number one. Covenant number two in ancient times looked a little bit like this. I am in charge, and you work for me but I will do for you these things as long as you continue to work for me. You can count on me to do these things as long as you do those things. So you obey and then I, you can count on me, right? Covenant number two, but I'm in charge. I don't owe you anything. I'm doing this because I want to and you are serving me. Covenant three, flip the other way. Covenant three, I heard one pastor say it this way and I loved it. It's like a middle school relationship a crush. I'll do anything for you. No matter what you do, you walk on water. You're awesome. 
If you do it, I don't care. You can spit on me. I'll love you. You can treat me bad. I'll love you. I'm, I'm in for you. I'll serve you. That was covenant type three, right? Now here's what's crazy. They would seal these covenants in a very specific way. They would cut an animal in half, right? And then whoever was making the promise, you could read this in Genesis, whoever's making the promise walks through the animal. That's weird, right? They wouldn't like spit on the hands and shake. There was no pinky swears. Like a solid covenant required blood. And here's why. Because there was a significance to this action that was essentially saying, may it be to me like it is to this poor animal if I break this covenant. That's what's happening, right? May it be to me as it is to this poor animal. If I want. And so the wealthier you were, the more animals you would slaughter. May I get really slaughtered, like really slaughtered, right? So the first covenant that God made with his people was a number two type. It was, I'm the boss, and here's some rules. If you follow the rules, you can count on me. But if you don't follow the rules, I'm not going to give you anything. And we saw this time and time again throughout the history of the Israel nation, right? They honor God. It goes well for them. They're blessed. They follow false gods. They break his covenant. They get conquered. We see it happen over and over again all throughout history. And that's the type of relationship they were in with God. And here's Jesus. And he says, this is a new covenant, but it's going to be in my blood. We're not going to cut an animal on the ground. See what I'm saying? We're not going to half it. I'm going to be the thing because this is a third type of covenant where I am going to put my strength and give it to you unconditionally. Now, there's terms. Not without any terms, but unlimited and unconditional should you accept the terms. And that's the covenant that he's establishing. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay. So back to verse 22. He says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, there's all these elements on the table. Remember, there's an egg. It's like a really roasted egg. It's gross. It has to, resembles a sacrifice or whatever, like a burnt sacrifice. It's a burnt egg. I don't get it. There's bitter herbs and water and all this other stuff. There's all these other elements on the table. It's a good Passover meal. And there's these four cups. And Jesus takes a cup and he focuses on the bread and he focuses on the cup. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have some ushers come forward and I'm going to actually give you these elements right now. And you just hold on to them, okay? Just hold on to them because we're going to have a, a conversation about these elements. So we, uh, we're going we're gonna to just pass them out. They're just, you just grab them, pay attention to me. I'll keep talking and we'll see if this works. So the first thing he deals with is the bread and he cracks it and he says, this bread, what is it? This bread is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. But we know what the bread really stood for. It stood for as we're moving from slavery to freedom. And he says, as you're moving from slavery to freedom, that is what the bread reminds you, that it's a race, right? We have to get out of here. It's quick. We don't have time. I'm not going to stay where I was. The window is now. I have to get out of this situation and into that situation. I want to be free. And Jesus says, see that, what you used to think that was just about that, this is now about you right now. This is about me establishing that you can be free again. What you're stuck in, it's the time. It's the moment. It's now. Go be free. My body's broken for you so you can be free. And then he takes the cup. And I love this picture because, because all of the cups are so significant. They're like these pillars that we go through. And they're all these cups of wine. And all the cups are tied to this a scripture in Exodus. And so I'm going to give you the scripture in Exodus. It's two verses. And you should write this down so you can look at it later. But it's these statements that God makes. And Exodus chapter 6. 
And they're telling the story of escaping from, is, uh, from slavery, the Israelites. And God speaks to him and he says, therefore say to the Israelites, you guys start pressing those out. We'll just hand them and I'll, I'll keep talking. He says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And the first I am the Lord statement, right? And, uh, or I will statement is the cup of sanctification. So they read that and they drink a cup of wine. And it's the cup of sanctification. And what does sanctification mean in this moment? It means I am taking you out of slavery and restoring your value as free. And they drink that cup. That's one of the cups that they drink. So Jesus standing in front of four cups, likely drank one cup because of the way they were doing it, filled four times. But the cup is representative of sanctification. What does the cup of sanctification mean to you? It's Jesus saying, I'll bring you out. He breaks the bread and he says, it's time, gotta go. He drinks the first cup and he says, I'll bring you out. You feel stuck, you feel lost, you feel like you can't get out, that you're enslaved, I'll take you out. I'll get you out. The second cup, they call it the cup of praise. And the next statement that God makes is, I'll free you from being slaves. So not only will I take you out, you'll actually be free. And I don't know about you, but there's some, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, kind of things that happen when I recognize I'm not held and stuck in the things that I've been stuck before in. And so he takes the cup, the cup of praise, and he drinks that with them, and they're free, and they're excited, and they're celebrating. And if your worship doesn't come from a place of knowing what God's done for you has set you free, then you're missing out on the cup of praise. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Then he comes back. A lot of people will point at this cup as the primary cup because he says to them, I will redeem you. And the third cup is the cup of redemption. Remember how you redeem something? You pay the price for it. It's been redeemed. I'll pay the price for the debt that you have incurred. I am the redemption for you. I cover that cost. And God says, I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Basically, I will handle business on your behalf because you're valuable. I'll restore the value that you have. This is the cup they drink every Passover. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Verse seven. It's the cup of acceptance. And God says, I'll take you as my own and I'll be your God. He says, I'll take you as my own. You're not an orphan. You're not lost. You count, you matter. You're in the family. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The last cup is the cup of acceptance. In Matthew's version of this story, when Jesus says this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Matthew actually says it's for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus makes it clear that it's not just a covenant, but there's a purpose to the covenant. It's so you can be forgiven, you can be accepted, you can be welcomed, you can be brought back in. So this group of people have been celebrating these four cups all in connection to escaping slavery in Egypt. They're currently 
enslaved and under oppression by another military state. And Jesus sits down and one of his last appointments and conversations that are important for him to have that gets recorded and brought to us is he sits down at this Passover meal and he says, there's two very significant changes that have to happen going forward. You have to recognize that it's time to get free. It's time to run. It's time to move. But not because you're celebrating that your ancestors did it, because you're enslaved and you can be made free also. Thank you. Can I take one of these? Sorry. So he says, this is, this is what the bread does for you. It lets you know it's time to go. Look at somebody say, it's time to go. Time to go. I can't be stuck anymore. It's time to go. Come on, church. You can talk a little bit. Look at somebody and say, it's time to go. Don't be shy. Wake up for me. He says, time to go. You don't got to be stuck anymore. You can be free. He says, that's what happens there. Then he takes the cup and he says, this is the new covenant. You are sanctified. I'll bring you out. You can praise me because I have freed you. You are redeemed. I've paid the price for you. You are accepted. I am bringing you into the family. Those are the hallmarks of this new covenant. He says all the other stuff up until that point was to get you to this place where I can flip the script. You are no longer bound to performance. The old covenant, if you broke the rules, then you lost the blessing. You lost the provision because you created distance and separation between you and God. And you messed up and thought that's was, this is what God wanted. That's never what he wanted. It was always about establishing relationship and connection with you. And he's like, I'm going to fulfill the covenant by changing all of the pictures you have of what you've been celebrating and let you recognize this isn't something for someone else. This is personal and it's for you. And he says, that's what we do. Now, they still don't get it, right? I mean, he, he's like, how can this be your blood for me? And how are you going to represent the sky? You're still here and alive. We want you to be king. And Jesus, in case you didn't realize, if you die, that's the end of the story. You only get to die once, unless you're Lazarus, apparently. But if you die, then there's no one to kind of bring you back, right? So, so they don't get it yet, but they should. They should, and here's why they should. Because all the way back at the start of his ministry journey, when he went and saw John in the wilderness, and they were with him, John saw him, the Baptist, and looked at him, and, he, and verse one, uh, chapter one, verse 29, says John saw him coming towards him, and he said, look, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, it bookmarks his ministry. He starts with a declaration of his purpose and his intent. He's gonna change the covenant. They've been slaughtering a lot of lambs. He says, there's gonna be one and he's gonna do enough for all the world. Would you stand with me? He says, the new covenant is an unconditional covenant. Now, there's still terms. And if you're stressing with the terms, I'm, I'm gonna take you on that journey the next couple of weeks, but there's still some terms. But the essentials of the term are very simple. As a matter of fact, John the beloved, not John the Baptist, who, who is with Jesus in this moment, I think the best way to frame it is the way he frames it in John chapter three, verse 16. When he says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, come on now, that whoever did what? Believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And he says, this is how the new covenant terms work. He says, he says, this is what Jesus told us the new covenant's terms were. The old covenants, I had to get here at a certain time. I had a dove or a goat. Like there was a, an in-between. I had to go to this guy and, and he had to get ceremonial clean. And if he blew it and he went in there, he died. I had to pull him out with a rope. Like it was complicated. Basically, I was always under this performance-based pressure. 
And Jesus says, no, 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 see, Jeremiah told you that this was going to be an inside covenant, not a works-based covenant, a heart condition, that you're going to have to make a decision in your heart to take a step of belief and trust in God. As a matter of fact, I think the other disciples might even have made it simpler than that because they were just fishing, and Jesus said, hey, come and follow me. And they said, okay, and they started following Jesus. And they might say, hey, that's, that's, that's what really earmarked the covenant. So Jesus looks at these elements and then he says, as often as you do this, do this and remember this now. They're like, we have something we remember. He goes, don't worry, this is gonna be way better than getting out of Egypt. This is gonna be getting out of your sin, getting out of the things that have held you back, the things that have trapped you and caused you, come on now, to not move into everything God has for you. This is gonna be that kind of freedom. That is so much better than just celebrating. It is awesome what I did in Egypt. I know, I was there. But this is gonna be in your heart and in your life, and it's gonna bring life eternal. And I am gonna pay the price so that you can receive it. It's that third kind of covenant. And it's undeserved, except for I told you you deserve it, so you do. And it's unlimited, even though you're skeptical that it's unlimited, because he says it's for the whole world. He says it's for you. So would you hold that bread? And listen, I don't know where you're at today, but maybe you've never taken a step of belief the way Jesus has invited you to do it. Maybe you've thought, I'm checking things out, but today's a moment where you gotta take a step of belief. I don't wanna miss this opportunity for you to do that. Scripture doesn't say there's some magic words that you say. The scripture doesn't say that it's spiritual to raise your hand or not raise your hand, that you have to step forward. The scripture says you can believe in your heart. And then just confess, declare with your mouth that he's Lord and you'll be saved. There's terms, but it's unlimited. It's unconditional for you. Maybe today you would have a moment of honest faith and step of faith and just say, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. I'm gonna pray. And then I'm gonna invite everyone, I'm gonna give you anonymity, which is totally weak sauce. It's the lamest, easiest way I can let you do this. Why? Because this is between you and God. It's totally just between you and God today. And we're not trying to get special credit. We're just trying to have an honest moment. So I'm gonna pray. And then I'm gonna invite you to just repeat after me. And if it's you and you're repeating it for the first time, awesome. Everyone else, if it's you and you're just repeating with me, awesome. Jesus, we thank you that you helped us and, and give us the ability to escape. And we recognize who you are. Would you guys repeat after me? Jesus, thank you for bringing a new covenant. The old one was rough. <laughs> we appreciate the new one. That you give us a way to escape all the things that have entangled us and ensnared us that by your grace, you've come for us. And so in this moment, I take a step of faith. I make a decision to follow. And I put you first. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you eat that and drink that? Today is March 31st. Some of you will need to write this day down as the day you recognized 
there was something unlimited available to you, that the lies that the enemy had tried to speak over you, that you had to do something to deserve it, that it was somehow a bait and switch hook, that all of that was done. And from this point forward, though you didn't have it all figured out, you were taking a step towards Jesus. March 31st, somebody needs to write that down. God bless you. Don't miss the next couple weeks. Jesus has two more appointments and then the cross that we're gonna talk about. It'd be awesome to have you. There are invite cards out here for you to invite someone to Easter. If you wanna do that, grab a little card out there. Please be thinking about that. We would love to have you. Make sure you sign up for the breakfast if you wanna go to breakfast. God bless you. Have an awesome week in the Lord.